Welcome to Two SoCal Gals, the podcast where we talk anything and everything soccer. I am Josie Becker, and I'm talking as always with Alicia Rodriguez. We start today with breaking news as Chivas USA are now 100% owned by CD Guadalajara. Uh, one change has already been made, GM Domine has been fired. Uh, so, Alicia, just your thoughts on the future of the club and how Domine was as a GM. Yeah, it's it's definitely been something of a mix-up in the in the you know the past couple of days here around uh, Chivas USA, and it's interesting because I think that people who follow the team and who cover the team, you know, have really wanted uh, Chivas to go in some different directions and and do something different as far as their um, pretty much top down as far as what's happening on the field, what's happening off the field, what's happening with marketing what's happening with the stadium, so on and so forth. In that sense, uh, this could be the start of something uh, good for the, the club and you know help establish themselves further in uh, the Southern California market. Um, but considering who's got complete control of the club now, uh, the Vergara's, um, who, you know, as you said, own Chivas uh, Guadalajara, they haven't been doing a great job running that club in recent years, and uh, it's it's pretty nerve-wracking, I guess, from the perspective of a fan at this point. Um, I think the big question at this point is, what will the future hold? And it, I think it could go in any number of directions. I mean, I really think the possibilities are limitless at this point, uh, good and bad. So it's, it's going to be a matter of, of seeing how it shakes out. And obviously, as you said, uh, Domine has been fired, uh, according to Kevin Baxter of the LA Times uh, today. So um, as far as Domine, I think my main assessment of, of his performance as, as general manager of Chivas USA, I think he improved over time. I think he was somebody who was learning from his early mistakes. Um, I think in particular he was not very uh, open in the public in his first year or so. And, you know, a lot of people didn't really know what was going on with him, if he was working, what what was happening with him. Um, and I think this year it was it was a big improvement. He was really interacting with um, the press and the and he was um, also interacting with fans on social media, you know, coming out and talking to fans before games and after games. So, and then as far as player acquisition, I think he, you know, was really making some big moves. Um, you know, he and, and Coach Robin Frazier together were making some big moves this year. So, on one hand, I think he was improving, and I think the process was a little short, and so we're never going to really be able to see if he could have been able to uh, carry it out to fruition, um, and you know that's that's how it goes in sports sometimes. But I think with with a team that hasn't had a lot of stability, it's it's a little bit nerve wracking. Um, actually, another uh, rebuilding project. But I mean, from your perspective, somebody who's not a Chivas USA fan, um, you know, w- what do you make of this move? Well, you know, to me, Chivas always felt kind of like it had its feet in two different camps. You know, there's definitely the let's look and kind of model ourselves off of Cedar Guadalajara side, and there was also kind of the side that would say things like all of our players should come from SoCal, um, which still sort of fits with the Guadalajara model. But anyway, it is. It seems like, and maybe this is the the effect of having you know two 50% owners. You kind of had a bit of a schizophrenic. Uh, what you were putting forward. This wasn't one solid project. 
And I think it'll be interesting to see uh, just how the team message gels going forward, since it will be just one owner, and you can kind of have, and they'll get their GM in. It seems like Domine was uh, uh, a hire of the people who got bought out. So, I don't know, it'll be interesting from, from a Galaxy's perspective. And, of course, uh, the question is always, uh, well, when are Chiefs going to leave the Home Depot Center? Um, and maybe this will speed that up, maybe this will slow that down. Uh, we, like you said, we really don't know yet, and so it's sort of exciting to see what's going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's a, exciting in a terrifying way, but uh, it, yeah, we'll see how it, how it shakes out, but I think this is going to be something we'll be talking about probably quite a bit moving forward. Okay. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's talk about another topic here that we, had, we were thinking about, and uh, that's about television. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but soccer fans who are looking for La Liga or Serie A, for example, on their cable lineup lately have been sorely, disappo- sorely disappointed as uh, the new network, BN Sport, has gobbled up the rights to those leagues. Um, what do you think, Josie, will be the lasting impact of BN Sport? You know, I, I'm a ATT Uverse uh, customer, and ATT Uverse does not yet have BN Sport, and they really don't see too many talks about them getting it anytime soon. I know Time Warner hasn't had talks yet, uh, Comcast might be there, uh, but we've already seen a lot of examples this year of how these things can kind of get dragged out, I and mean, then there's the famous, well infamous now, Dish Network spat with uh, AMC, so it's stressful to soccer fans, I can probably say at this point, not knowing when they're going to be getting uh, La Liga, when they're going to be getting Syria, because, uh, you know, they can't see their team, and that's frustrating. Uh, but I think in the long term, since a lot of these games were the games that were on ESPN3, or were on Gold TV, and no one has Gold TV, not even if you have DirecTV, I'm sure you still don't have the proper package to get Gold TV. So it, it once it gets going, it'll mean a lot more exposure for these European leagues. But there's going to be that period where you're going to miss a Real Madrid game. You're going to miss a Barcelona game um, just because that's the process. Um, and there are some people have been, who have said, like, well, this should have happened a long time. They should have had all their ducks together before the, the networks launched. But you can't fault BN Sport for trying to, you know, wait till they had the most leverage to get the best price for their network. It's business. It's unfortunate that it affects so many fans, but it still is business. Uh, at least, were you able to watch everything you wanted to watch over the last two weekends? Uh, definitely not. I have a Cox cable here in San Diego, and I'm, uh, I can't get a satellite in my uh, building, so I'm not able to even you know, have the option of DirecTV or Dish Network. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm frustrated, too, and I, I, I totally am on, you know, the same wavelength of, of you. I mean, it, it's the way that this, this process works. Um, I think it's really frustrating. I also think something to consider, I don't know about you, but pretty much every place I've ever lived, um, there's essentially a monopoly on the cable company that is in an area, in a given area. So you don't even have kind of the free market ability, or I have, I mean, I know there are some people who have choices of two or three different companies, but maybe it's just bad luck on my part, or this is a consistent trend, that there's no free market ability to actually 
move to a different company if you if you want something else. So, um, you know, that's a problem. And I think this has also been an issue in um, the Mexican uh, league with Univision Deportes, which is an offshoot of Univision. Um, and their sort of empire, they, they created a sports channel, uh, I want to say about three or four months back, and it's the same issue. They, they're carrying about a third, I would say, of the week's um, games every week. And, you know, this was a league that, for me anyway, I could watch every game every week, um, and now I can't watch, uh, you know, about 30% every week. And those typically tend to be the, the marquee games for obvious reasons. They want people to subscribe to the channel. So it's the same logic as BN Sport, and I think in the long run, hopefully, there'll be a better product, you know, with, with different channels competing for rights and for coverage and, um, you know, seeing what works and listening to viewer feedback and that sort of thing. But in the short term, it's, it's incredibly frustrating and to um, wait week after week after week to try and, um, you know, hope that the your carrier is going to pick it up when, when you're not sure they are. Well, and it, it brings up another issue, which is the uh, lack of an a la carte option uh, with well, any cable provider. You know, even if you do have uh, Dish Network, I believe it's only on uh, the uh, Espanol tier or something like that. Like, there's, you know, there's no guarantee that you just even having the provider will get you the channel because you still have to pay for some extra package. And that package will include nine channels you'll never watch, and only one that you actually want to watch. And I mean, yeah, cable television is a bit of a mess right now for a lot of reasons. Yeah. But we we have to move on to the next question. All right. So uh, another topic we had was that uh, one of the big stories a week or so ago was that reports have come out that MLS is near a deal to help build a three hundred million dollar stadium in Queens. Um, and one way of approaching this question is how should fans in, for example, San Jose and, and D.C. feel about um, the league getting involved in a stadium deal? Yeah, well, I think they should be frustrated and angry and all sorts of emotions. Uh, D.C. United have been playing in a raccoon-infested uh, crap hole, is the best way of putting it, for all of their existence and have had no luck in finding a new stadium. San Jose. Uh, the original franchise moved because they couldn't get a stadium deal going and the reborn franchise has been playing in a smaller college stadium uh, and right now they're dealing with all the usual headaches with EIRs and city council meetings trying to get you know their little soccer stadium built and where was MLS in all of this? Where was MLS with a blank checkbook to say alright we're gonna solve all the problems we're gonna fix this for you um, you know, Chivas USA fans should be upset as well. Where, where is MLS's uh, effort to get behind fans that are outside of their back door of New York? But I mean, how how, how do as a, as a Chivas USA fan, how do you feel hearing this deal? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a a way to alienate uh, everybody else in the league against the league office and against uh, New York too, whichever, you know, incarnation that, that team might take. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. It's preferential treatment. Um, it, it would, you know, one way of approaching something like this would be if the league wanted to help out uh, teams in, in creating a stadium and moving the process along if they needed funding, why couldn't they do something, um, you know, like some sort of uh, 
you know, funding pool and have teams take a, a proportion of that as they need it and then, you know, replenish it over time. Something like that, uh, you know, might be a little more equitable. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's pretty frustrating. And it obviously, I think, cuts out a lot of the potential fans in other towns as well, uh, you know, places where, you know, they're hoping to get into MLS that aren't in New York. Um, because it it's a clear indication that, you know, it's something that I think most of us have known for a long time that, that New York is going to be getting a second team. But it, it's still hope that there's going to be some sort of process by which um, other clubs, uh, other areas of the country that could also sustain uh, an MLS franchise, uh, you know, has shape. It, it seems pretty clear that, that that's not happening here. Well, and I, I think specifically you can bring up the example of Orlando City, yeah. where that's an ownership group which has done so much to integrate the club with the community and start supporters groups and really get, you know, start a club the way you would in Europe. Just start a club and work your way into higher and higher leagues and MLS seems to just not be interested in, in that effort at all. You know, it's really kind of a slap in the face to that sort of hope of an you know, organically created club. Uh, and you can look at you know, Seattle and Portland and Vancouver and Montreal. They were, they were all clubs that came out of uh, the, the so, you know, minor leagues, I guess we can say, uh, into MLS. Uh, but MLS seems to be turning their back on that model and uh, going back to the model that you know created Miami Fusion and a bunch of other clubs that folded or just completely underperformed. Uh, it's really frustrating. But we have to move on and we're going to start turning our attention on this podcast to the local clubs, which is probably why some of you tuned in in the first place. Uh, Chivas USA had a thrilling come from behind draw last night uh, with the recent results where Chivas are scoring more goals but they're also letting in a lot more goals. Uh, which do you focus on? The improving offense or the defensive meltdown? Yeah, I, I think this is the the big switch in the, in the team's form right now and obviously most of the season it was uh, not scoring but having a good defense and now it's flipped around. Um, but I think that the defense is more of a concern because they're costing the team points in games uh, altogether. I mean, the, the offense, the attack has been really pretty sharp in the last uh, two games and change or so. Uh, you know, they, Robin Fridge looks like he's turned to some, you know, some of the younger guys, not necessarily feeling like he has to put out uh, veterans like Alejandro Moreno or, or starting Juan Pablo and Hell. Uh, you know, bringing Angel off the bench seems to be working pretty well uh, this season. So, you know, that's promising, no doubt. And that was, you know, that's been the issue all season. But if they were scoring, you know, if the team was scoring three goals and they were letting in two goals or they were scoring three goals and letting in three goals, you know, more often than not, it would be a bummer, but it would be something that you could sort of uh, deal with. But I think that the defense has just been completely woeful lately. And so, you know, that's what's frustrating is that that seemed to be a unit that had figured everything out and was playing really well on balance. Um, you know, there have been a couple of uh, blowout losses that seem like aberrations, but at this point, um, it seems like the blowouts are, are coming fast and furious, and, and that's that's a real concern at this point. And it, it's, 
if the team's going to end the season like this, um, it, it's going to be a rough end of the season, and it's going to be pretty disappointing for, for Chivas fans. Yeah, I gotta say, I, I watched the uh, the match last night. It was on before uh, the Galaxy Concacaf uh, match, and there were a couple things that stuck out to me. Um, some more humorous than others, but uh, just throwing them out there. There was a moment where uh, Christian, the uh, commentator, said that uh, Juan Pablo on Hell uh, turned back the clock while uh, uh, taking a shot at goal, which, you know, didn't go in, but I've been trying to figure out what he meant by that. Um, has on hell had a particularly off year, and has he started to show signs uh, since coming off the bench that he's starting to, you know, get back into form? I think at this point, um, it's obviously clear that he's on the tail end of his career, um, I mean, I think Galaxy fans would have said that last season, but yeah, he, yeah, he did. Um, he did play very well in his you know short stint with Chivas last season. He is Chivas's uh, leading scorer this year, um, but that's not, not saying a whole lot. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think he's had five league goals, so it's not like he's lighting the world on fire, um, you know, for Chivas in 2012. But I think that there was this the sense that he needed to start every game and he just doesn't have the legs to go for 90 minutes and the way that the formation was set up he was being played as a lone striker and he I just don't think he can do that at this point in his career and I think that having him come in 20 minutes you know at the end of the game when the team's you know the opponent's tiring out uh has been working really pretty well more often than not um I don't think he's sort of the uh the guy you can count on game in and game out, but I think he can provide key goals, um, you know, every now and again, and I think it's going to be a big question as to, you know, if he'll be back in, in 2013 or not. You know, the terms of his contract weren't revealed, so I have no idea if it was a one-year or two-year deal, um, but we'll have to wait and see, you know, how that how that goes, but I think I could I could see it going either way at this point. I think he's, he's been you know, helpful this season, especially for the young strikers, but I don't necessarily know if he's somebody you can really rely on, uh, like you used to be able to in his career. Yeah, and that was kind of the complaint that a lot of Galaxy fans had last year, just that he's not a full 90 guy anymore, uh, that he can't play up top by himself, um, and I mean, that's a complaint that currently had about Edson Buttle, but that's a whole nother ball of wax, but I think it's time to move on to our next topic. Sounds good. Um, all right, so the Galaxy have had a more positive run in uh, the last month or so, and uh, their latest uh, result was a 4-0 win last night over Puerto Rico in the uh, CONCACAF Champions League. So are the Galaxy finally looking up? Is the season sort of all good, or uh, are you still a little worried about what, what's to come? You know, I, I, at the uh, FC Dallas game, uh, I was sitting next to kind of a national reporter and he made mention that you know this was a, a huge match that if Dallas should somehow find a way to win um, the Galaxy were going to you know that's what they're looking down at Dallas and Chivas more than they could look up at RSL and Seattle and that's kind of what I've been thinking about but 
obviously we obviously won that match and have continued to 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 win uh on Wednesday. So I think a point has kind of been reached where you know that that line between five and six that you see on the standings has been very much five and six looking at each other for for much of the year. But I think we're starting to get some separation. Chivas USA still have uh, games in hand, so that's important to to remember. Uh, but I don't think Dallas have the uh, they haven't had the run to really make the run up into the, the top five uh, points per match if you look at uh, what Dallas is averaging just aren't sustainable and they've played more matches than uh, well it, pretty much anyone else in the top five so they're appearing where they are is a bit of an aberration and the Galaxy as they stand now are only three points away from uh, Seattle and Real Salt Lake. Uh, so, you know, by the end of this weekend, with you know Seattle having a CCL match and then an away match uh, at Dallas, there's a very real possibility that the Galaxy could be in their first tie for third place this season. Uh, and this is the club that was in last, and people were asking if everything was wrong and the wheels had fallen off completely and there was no recovering this year, uh, but the year kind of has been recovered, um, which is awesome if you're a supporter of the Galaxy, uh, and kind of frightening, I imagine, if you're one of the clubs that's kind of stagnated, uh, which is not to say, because, I mean, Seattle has had bad runs, and they're still in third place, uh, RSL has had an off run, and they're still in second, so it, it feels like the top five have kind of gelled and there was some worry that it might not for a while uh, but it seems pretty solid but uh, as a fan uh, you know just below that line uh, do you still see it as permeable or do you think season's starting to get to a point where things are settling? I mean I think there still can be some movement in those standings but I think uh, I think it's settling pretty well I think there may only be one club that could fall out of the playoff picture and even then I don't think it's necessarily uh, a given that it's going to happen. I mean, Vancouver's been slumping lately, and they've been dropping in the standings, but um, I mean, it, it's possible that they could leave the door open for one of the, the clubs, you know, below the line, so to speak, to jump up, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it seems that the order has been pretty much established at this point, but that said, I mean, I think there's still going to be uh, some movement as we come you know, to the end of the season, and then in the playoff positions themselves, I think there's going to be a lot of jockeying because I think the difference between getting a three seed and a four seed is, is pretty significant. So I think that teams who have an opportunity to, to move into the top three are going to really push to, to try and do that um, in, in the final games of the season. But it'll be interesting for sure to see. And I think, um, you know, there's still some flux, but I think it, it, it's kind of figuring out the way that I think most people thought. I think, um, you know, there's always hope for expectation that maybe some new clubs are going to get into the playoffs but it you know the big surprise obviously was San Jose and then and then Vancouver uh, being in the playoff spots at this point but you know that's because Dallas Colorado dropped out of the mix uh, at least for the time being so so yeah there's, there's a lot of uh, storylines I guess in the, in the Western Conference that we can watch uh, in the coming weeks yeah no, in, in case people have forgotten uh, 
the uh, four and five are wild cards now, and they'll play a, a, a one-game playoff before the true playoffs begin. Uh, so there is it's a huge difference between finishing third and finishing fourth now. Uh, weren't you know that wasn't the case, uh, you know last year. Um, but moving on, we're gonna try out uh, a new segment here, um, a little bit of quick tete-a-tete uh, called Choose a Side. So the premise is pretty simple. Uh, throw out a question, take a side, and then defend it. Uh, so, uh, Alicia, who makes the worst calls? Uh, Mexican League refs or MLS refs? Yeah, this is a good one. I was I was thinking about going for a nuanced answer, but I know that that's not the name of the game here. So, um, I think that I would come down and say that the Mexican League refs screw up worse more often. Um, I think on balance, it's it's probably pretty similar if we you know really take it you know from a serious angle. But I think that when a, a, a referee in the Mexican League loses the plot he really loses the plot and um, you know a lot of times you'll see PKs being taken three or four times um, and I know that's happened you know on some occasions in MLS and including in recent weeks but it happens more often in Mexico uh, you'll see you know phantom cards that I mean, literally seem to come out of nowhere you see um, you know a couple of sort of celeb you refs who uh, seem to really delight in taking uh, attention away from a game. So I'm going to go with the side of when referees in Mexico screw up, I think they screw up worse than, than the MLS refs. What do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah the question came up uh, because, you know, a Mexican crew uh, ref the, the Galaxies 5-2 uh, when uh, in their first CCL match, and that was one where there was yellow cards all over the place. Uh, yeah. Robbie Keane was given a yellow card for diving when he didn't dive, and then when Keane kind of made a gesture of like, what's the, what's the matter? Uh, that became a second yellow, which was an automatic red, which is just insane <laughs> to, to me uh, and my perspective. And it, it seems like uh, Champions League always has these controversies um, and I think MLS fans kind of take for granted, uh, I don't say just how good their refs are, but they don't understand that refs are terrible around the world in many, many different ways. Yeah, I totally agree. I think this whole, I mean, I, I get why people get frustrated, you know, soccer games are decided often on sort of a nice edge and you know a referee who makes a bad decision can really turn a game and and it can be frustrating for sure but yeah I mean any league you watch in the world you're going to be frustrated with a ref from time to time and that's just sort of the, the name of the game unfortunately all right so let's uh let's do another side uh who is your choice for MLS MVP so far would you go with Chris Wondolowski or the field you know, the way it looks right now with San Jose being at the top of the league and Wondolowski being at the top of the Golden Boot race, it seems like a no-brainer, uh, but I'm going to take the field just because Wondolowski, uh, you know, he was Golden Boot winner three years ago when San Jose were not a playoff team. 
uh, you know, he was the Castrol Index Player of the Year last year when the San Jose Earthquake didn't make the playoffs. So, I don't think he's that club's most valuable player in the sense that he can make them so much better than they are. So I'm taking the field that someone else is going to come up at and become favorable with the national media, but I don't know. What do you think? I would go with Wando, um, and I understand where you're coming from. He's been in a, I mean, by his standards, a little bit of a slump in, in recent matches, um, and, and other players have sort of stepped up to, you know, to sort of uh, get involved in the scoring a little bit more. But I do think that, you know, without if you take him away from the team, I think the team would have been, um, would not be in the position they're in at this point. I think if you're going to pick um, sort of a, a talisman, if you will, I know that's an overused term in, in soccer, but if you were to pick one for that team, I think it's got to be him. And and so I would go with Wando, but um, I think as far as betting goes, you're, you're going to want to take the field because your chances are going to be a lot better, that's for sure. Yeah, that's what I was taught as a kid, um, not as a kid, as an adult, that uh, you always take the field in these questions. but. We are out of time, so we're just going to throw up a quick open-ended question. Uh, you know, Alicia, what have you, what have you been watching and uh, what has stood out to you so far this year? Yeah, I was uh, thinking about this from a couple of different perspectives. I'll, I'll just go over it real quick. Um, you know, I, I'm somebody who follows and covers uh, the Mexican League uh, when I'm not covering Chivas USA. And... Uh, yeah, one of the big surprises is one of the promoted teams this season, or the promoted team this season, Leon, has been playing really well. Um, they have a great uh, atmosphere at their stands. I mean, uh, people who are sort of hardened veterans of the of the league are, are really surprised at, at how well uh, the games have been attended, and the team's been playing pretty well. Um, you know, I don't know if the form's going to last uh, through the tournament, but so far, so good for them. And then, you know, considering we haven't been able to watch uh, anything in Italy or Spain or France, uh, I've been watching the EPL because obviously we do, I do that, uh, my cable uh, network at this point. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's been interesting with some of the high scoring games so far in, in, in England. And, uh, you know, there, there's been some really wacky results so far. But uh, I think one of the big players that stood out, somebody who's getting a lot of headlines, is uh, Aiden Hazard of uh, Chelsea. He's been playing fantastic, and I mean, his, his stats are just mind-blowing. I, I think he's gotten six assists in, in three games so far, so that's that's pretty crazy for a guy who just joined the league. Um, but yeah, it, it's been it's been an interesting start to the, to the season. Uh, what about you? What have you been watching? Uh, well, uh, just full disclosure, uh, I've been rooting for, for Man City about the last two years. So I've been kind of following uh, what what they've been up to. Uh, but really what I want to talk about is the uh, the CCL draw, not the CCL, oh, the other Champions League, the UEFA Champions League draw. Uh, Real Madrid and Manchester City in the same group uh, that is being dubbed the group of death. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch and I'm, it's always amazing to me. It's called Champions League and then everyone's surprised when two league champions end up in the same group. It's kind of what happens. Uh, so, I don't know, it'll be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to this year's uh, rendition of Champions League. Yeah, I'm all about Champions Leagues. You know, North, North South America, Europe, I love it. 
Yeah, good stuff. Well, we're out of time, and we want to thank you all for uh, checking us out, and hopefully you will continue to check us out. Uh, Alicia, where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, my Twitter handle is at Soccer Musings, all one word, uh, and you can read me at the Goat Parade. All right, and I'm at Rock and Josie, uh, Rock, letter N, and then Josie, and you can find my work at LAG Confidential. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.